Good morning. Welcome. Welcome to Mission View Church. So glad you're here this morning. It's great to see all of you in the snow. Come out anyways. It's great. Hopefully the roads weren't too bad on your way in. I think the plow trucks hit my roads pretty good, so I'm glad to see you all. My name is Matt Halp. If you're, the, if you're here for the first time, I'm the lead pastor here at Mission View Church, and we're so glad you joined us for worship this morning. If you're joining us online for the first time, welcome. So glad you're with us. We um, are starting a new sermon series today called Mass Gatherings. Catchy title, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah that was, thanks, Chad. I appreciate that. <laughs> but uh, so here's what we're talking about. As we go through the book of 1 Corinthians, Paul's about to get really practical and give us some guidance on how we get together as a church. Give us some, some uh, tracks to run on as far as what we do when we come together. A couple disclaimers first as we go through this. We, um, what we found out so far, and we'll talk about again later, is that we have uh, 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, Paul's letter to the church in, church in Corinth. Now, what we do know and what we found out is that there's actually more than two letters to the church in Corinth, but we've only found two of them. There was previous letters that have been referenced to in 1 Corinthians. So here's what we have. We have answers to questions that we don't know. So there's, there's that, right? There's, we can kind of gather what the church was asking about a little bit from the answers that Paul's giving in, these, uh, in the answers. So we can kind of figure out what the church was going through. Here's what we know. The church in Corinth was a dumpster fire. They were a hot mess. It was awful. There was all kinds of craziness going on in Corinth. And, and um, so we've talked about a lot of that already. Uh, and today, Paul's going to get really practical. And he goes, all right, here's how you, you already talked about, it. here's how you deal with sin. And here's how you deal with all these struggles that you're going through. Now, as you gather together as a church, here's what not to do, and here's what you should do. So he's answering some of the questions, and he's going to get into some, some really great stuff today, and I'm excited about sharing today's word with you. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to 1 Corinthians. We're going to start in chapter 11, verse 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and we'll start in verse 2. Let's pray before we jump into God's word this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We confess that we need more of you, Father. We surrender our will and our lives to you. We ask that your Holy Spirit would bring these words to life in our hearts, that it would take deep root, that it would change us for your glory and for your kingdom, by your power and for our good. Come and have your way, in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 2 says this, Now I commend you because you remember me in everything and maintain the traditions even as I delivered them to you. But I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ. You might want to underline that. The head of every man is Christ. The head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is the church. Just a great little layout that Paul has for us there. Every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head. But every wife who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head, since it is the same as if her head were shaven. For if a wife will not cover her head, then she should cut her hair short. But since it is disgraceful for a wife to cut her hair or shave her head, let her cover her head. For a man ought not to cover his head, since he is the image and glory of God, but woman is the glory of man. For man was not made for woman, but woman for man. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. That is why a wife ought to have a symbol of authority on her head, because of the angels. Nevertheless, in the Lord, woman is not independent of man, nor man of woman. 
For as woman was made from man, so man is now born of woman. And all things are from God. Judge for yourselves. Is it proper for a wife to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not nature itself teach you that if a man wears long hair, it is a disgrace for him? But if a woman has long hair, it is her glory. For her hair is given to her for a covering. If anyone is inclined to be contentious, we have no such practice, nor do the churches of God. All right, God's word for us this morning. I'm going to start us out with just those first two verses. Just so I know there was a lot in there, so let me just remind you of that. Now I commend you because you remember me and everything and maintain the traditions, even as I delivered them to you. But I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ, the head of a wife, her husband, and the head of Christ is God. The first fill-in in your notes today as you're going through this is this. God created an order of authority. God created an order of authority. God created an order of head coverings. Nope, nope, authority. This is not a text about head coverings. It is about authority and God created order. In scripture, we have principles, godly principles, biblical principles that are timeless. They never cease, they never stop. They are biblical principles. And we have practices or methods that are timely, timely for the culture and place that they're in. Every culture has different practices or methods, but God's principles are timeless. So we need to decipher between the two. For example, let's say, um, let's say you went to the Middle East. Or let's say I went to the Middle East and I was visiting over there and I went to meet a Muslim and I, I, we would do what we normally do here. Our tradition is I would put out my right hand and shake their hand. That would be hugely offensive to a Muslim in the Middle East. They do not shake hands and sticking out your right hand, they find it so offensive because that's the hand you take care of business with after you go to the bathroom. So it would be hugely offensive to them. That is a practice or a method. So they greet in a completely different way and our practice and our method is completely different because we are different cultures. So there's these, uh, these things in scripture we have to differentiate between and that's practices and principles, these methods and these principles. Principles, timeless, God's principles. The methods change over time. The head covering in Corinth was the sign of a woman being married or set aside for marriage. And women in the culture in Corinth, the women who took off their head coverings, were throwing that lifestyle aside and committing themselves to prostitution. And a lot of that prostitution was happening in the temples, the pagan temples and pagan worship, right? So that's why this, this whole idea of head coverings, what Paul's addressing, he's addressing this cultural thing that was happening. He's like, listen, listen, I know that you were in pagan worship before and you were taking off your head coverings and a lot of pagan worship had all this uh, sexual promiscuity and very horrible things that went, off, went on in these pagan temples. And so we can kind of gather that there's some strange and weird stuff happening in the church of Corinth and Paul's addressing it head on. He's saying, listen here. Um, this is, we are, you're not pagans anymore. God has come into your life. He set up this authority structure for your good, for his kingdom. And we're going to get into that, why he did that, what that looks like, and, and how these methods, how our methods, we work through and live through that today as well. So we're going to get into that a little bit. Paul says in Christianity, we have a created, God-given order of authority that God put in place. And he points to Jesus as our model. 
I, I love how he points to Jesus. And when we talk about, he says, Christ is the, the head of man, but God is the head of Christ. And when we talk about authority in the biblical sense, we really need to wrap our heads around how Christ wielded his authority, how Christ wielded this authority. Now think about this for just a second. The creator of the universe, Jesus, stepped down from heaven and put on flesh and became man. This is the most powerful being in all created anything, the most, cre the most powerful being. And he put on flesh and became a man. Truly God, truly man, walked the earth. He created all life, and the Bible says that he sustains all life. Think about that for just a second. Every breath we breathe, every second, every millisecond of our day is sustained by Jesus Christ. He was here in the flesh. How did Christ wield that kind of power, that authority? that was given, that he has. How did he wield it? That's our example of authority. That's our example of an authority figure. It's not some, Jesus came to serve. He washed the disciples' feet. He went to the lowly and the ones that, that you know, the uppities would put us aside and ignore. Christ was a servant to all. He loved people. There, was, there wasn't a, a lording over or abusive patriarchy. It was this servant leading, selfless and sacrificing. Uh, authority, yes. But this authority that was compassionate, that looked at the needs of others and addressed them directly with kindness and mercy. Did he speak the truth? Yes. Was he powerful and strong? Yes. Did he actually create a whip and go into the temple and turn over the tables? Yes, he did. But he loved people. He loved people. It was an amazing, we see this amazing authority that's been modeled for us in servitude, compassion, and grace. We also see this modeled in Christ when he said he never did anything he didn't see the Father doing. And Christ, being in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, it says in Philippians 3. This powerful, humble team, this three-in-one Father, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And Jesus says also in Scripture, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Let that just soak in for just a second. You can read through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John four different views of Jesus' life and ministry. If you've seen Jesus, you've seen the Father. What a powerful, powerful statement. There is authority, absolute authority, but is never abused, misused, or sinful. It is always perfect, righteous, and good because that is who God is. Now, we, humanity, mess this up. Can I get an amen? Let's just be honest. We are, we are in church today. We mess this up. That's why this text has become so controversial. Because men have taken this and abused it for centuries. I mean, it's been horrific. 
abuse, selfishness, rebellion, envy, and sin. God help us. That men would, like Christ, serve selflessly, sacrificing, sacrificing their lives and their de desires for their wives. And, and women would, would live into their role of, of coming alongside and running alongside their husbands, supporting them and helping them. This compliment, complimenting that happens between husbands and wives, men and women, that we would work the kingdom work that God has set before us together. You know what? God's way is the best way. And today, this is going to be, we're going to really get into the nuts and bolts of this because I think we've messed it up for so long. You know how those pendulums swing? You have this God-delegated and God-given authority, and, you know, men take that, and they take it to an abusive side. Well, over time, what happens is the, they get sick of the abuse. Women are sick of the abuse. And they step up and they say, no more. And then you have this huge pendulum swing of radical feminism that's come into our society. And it's taken that pendulum and swung it all the way over to the other side. And there is no delegate. There's no authority. I'm my own authority. We're, there's no, any of this, this stuff is existent, but it is. So what we have to do in times like this, and when we experience things like this in our cultures, we have to go to God's word. And we have to say, okay, how do we live this out in a God-honoring way? It's not about me getting what I want. It's not about me doing things my way. It's about looking at God's word, submitting to God's word, and saying, okay, this is how we do this. This is how we live this. It's for his kingdom, for his glory, and for our good, and for the good of all those around us. Let's move on. So we're talking about authority here. It's not about head coverings. We're working through authority and how we live out our lives and how we come to church together and what that authority structure looks like. All right, pick it up in verse 4 again. Every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head. But every wife who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head, since it is the same as if her head were shaven. Remembering that this, this head covering was a sign that she was set aside for marriage or that she was married. And a lot of times in the Corinthian culture, if they removed their head covering, they were going into prostitution and kinds of craziness. That's what that means. For if a wife will not cover her head, and she should, then she should cut her hair short. But since it is disgraceful for a wife to cut her hair or shave her head, let her cover her head. For a man ought not to cover his head, since he is the image and glory of God, but woman is the glory of man. For man was not made for woman, from woman, but woman from man. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. That is why a wife ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. Okay? Then you got that little statement there at the end, like that whole first part's not heavy enough, but then you go, because of the angels. So I'm going to address that. Here's the next fill-ins in your notes. Equal in value and worth, but with different roles. Men and women, we are equal in value and worth, but God writes out these different roles for us to live out for his kingdom. And the end there in your notes, fill in, is this. What about the angels? <laughs> I just didn't want to forget that, so I'll hit that at the end of this section. So first, I've already talked about this a little bit, but first we need to realize that Paul's answering some questions that the Corinthians were asking and he's probably responding to some reports that he's heard back from people who have visited. And he's also looking at the letters and questions they were sending. Now, there were some who were speaking out of turn in the church in Corinth or causing a ruckus. There were was, there was, there was some, some, some problems going on. 
And we remember that, you know, the church in Corinth was a hot mess. So to address this problem, Paul points out the authority structure God's created. And this gives Corinth and us clarity on how we live out and into the plans God's created for men and women and husbands and wives. Now, it's important to note what we just read there. This was not forbidding of women to pray or prophesy in the church. It was direction on how to do so properly or in good order, okay? So we've seen this authority structure from the very beginning. We've seen it from the very beginning. If you have your Bibles, turn all the way back to Genesis chapter 3. Go ahead and turn all the way back there. We're gonna, I'm going to show you the picture of this authority structure God created even from the very beginning. Now, you guys are familiar with the story in Genesis chapter 3, the fall of humanity. You know that, that tree that they weren't supposed to eat of? God created this perfect garden. Adam and Eve are there. And God's like, you can eat from any tree in the garden. You can have all of this is yours. Go and fill the earth and you can have all of this stuff. And there's just one tree in the middle. Just don't eat anything of that tree. You'll be good. If you eat of that tree, you'll die. So don't eat anything there. But everything else, this whole is all yours, right? And then the serpent, Satan, comes in and he, he goes to Eve and says, did God really say that? I mean, will you really die? You know, and in the rest is history, right? The fall of humanity. They even and Adam eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, and the rest is history, right? So we have this. That's kind of the story here in chapter 3. And so humanity's fallen nature, this fallen nature we have because of the garden, this fallen nature fights God's intended order because of sin. So this authority structure that God's put in place has always been a struggle for humanity because of the fall because of what happened in the garden. It's this consequences of the fall resulted in the struggle against God's intended order for our joy and God's best for our lives. There is a war we need to be aware of. There's a war going on inside of us. It's a war of the flesh and a war of the spirit. And Paul talks about it, you know, in his letters. He says things like this. He says, man, I don't do what I want to do. I do what I don't want to do. What, what a wicked man I am. You know, he talks about this clearly. The Apostle Paul, the guy who wrote two-thirds of our New Testament, he talks about, acknowledges this struggle that goes on each and, inside each and every one of us. So from the very beginning, the consequences of the fall are a tendency for us to lean towards sin, to struggle and have that fallen nature. And we need to be aware of this, this sinfulness that's going on inside of us. But let's get really into the details. What were the consequences of the fall? Let's look at them very closely. In, in Genesis chapter 3, starting in verse 16, God says to the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. Ladies, you can thank Eve. Terrible. In pain you shall bring forth children. Now get this. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband. Some translations may see, say for your husband. Your desire may be for your husband. But... He shall rule over you. Now, this is a consequence God's handing down to women, a consequence from the fall because of what Eve did. Now, I remember in the, I forget which version I had when I was, you know, starting out in Christianity a long time ago, but that, that wording there is very strange, that your desire shall be for your husband. That's a, a strange wording. It's like, what kind of consequence is that? You're unlike your husband. Well, tough one there, you know. Bummer. No, that's not what he's talking about. As we read the rest of that sentence, he says, but he will rule over you. 
that are, there's authority structure put in place right there. That, that, that there's going to be this part of, of women that want that position, that want that authority. That's what he's saying. That is a natural consequence of the fall. That the part of us, part of our flesh, isn't going to want to do what God's best is for us. It's, so that's, that's the clarity of what's going on. Now, what's, what's men's consequences? Pick it up in verse 17. And to Adam, he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. This, this working the fields, you know, back then, this would be working. This is that providing, protecting, caring for, and working, getting our hands dirty. This leadership role, the authority that, this authority that we see here. Now, you, what are some of the kind of the play that goes into this for men? Passivity? Not leading their families? Laziness? A struggle to, to get out there and do the things that we're supposed to do? That's that natural tension, that fallen nature that's inside of us. I talk to so many, this is really, really real here. I talk to so many guys, and they, you know, they go to work and they're doing their job or whatever, and they're making ends meet. But then they come home to their, to their families when their real job starts, the real God-given job starts. And they're like, I'm just so tired. I'm just going to go sit and watch the game and not invest in their families at all. That's the real job. It's great to provide, but that's just a given. The job that provides is just a given. The God-given structure is your family is first. And we see it all the time. I see it all the time in this, this broken down uh, struggle that marriage has become because of the fall. That husbands struggle to serve their wives. They struggle to pour out their lives and, and prefer their wife's desires before their own. And, and women struggle because they see that their, their husband's not living up to this leadership st structure, not living up to this sacrificing. And this, as Christ tells, you know, in Ephesians, Christ, we're supposed to love our wives as Christ loved the church and died for her. And when men don't do that, they don't lead their families that way. Women look at it like, well, if he's not going to do it, I'll lead. I'll do it. We didn't, if the guys, I'll do it. And then, so, so sin compounds sin, compounds sin, and then you have these marriages that are so whacked out. So whacked out. Men aren't being men. Women aren't living into their roles as women either. And it's just a hot mess. Now, here's kind of bad good news. Is, is that this structure, this, or this, this friction that we're feeling, this difficulty you're having in marriage, this difficulty that we have, this friction is a consequence of the fall. These are consequences that have been handed down. So it's, it's normal. <laughs> it's, it's there. But there's another big but here. The Holy Spirit lives inside of you. And God is changing you. And he's growing you. He's making you more like his son, Jesus. 
and this sacrificial laying your life down for your wife and wives coming alongside your husbands and, and, and walking through these roles that God has for us. The Holy Spirit that lives inside of us is the one who can empower us and grow us to live into the things that God's called us to. So there's a reality we live in, but there's also a Holy Spirit that lives in us. So these are the struggles and the things that we see. So God's create us, created us in equal value and worth, but he's given us these different complementary roles that would mirror Christ in the church, and that would be a witness to the world. So when we live out, when we live out the roles that God's given us, as the, the husband sacrificially leads and cares for his wife, provides for, the wife comes alongside of her husband, not underneath. There's, there's this, this mutual respect and, and working together for the kingdom of God. As we live out those things, we're going to mess it up. But by the power of the Holy Spirit, there's grace for it. So as, as I sin against my wife, there's this amazing thing that happens when I fail as a husband to lead. There's an amazing thing that happens. I go to my wife and I say, listen, I blew it. And Janelle can testify, I've done this multiple times. <laughs> I've blown it. Here's what I should have done. And what I did was sinful. Will you forgive me? And over time, God starts to change the hearts of men and women, of husbands and wives. And, and we grow in, in love and sacrifice for one another. And in that forgiveness and that growth just strengthens our marriage and grows us closer to the Lord because we see this amazing work that only God can do in and through this relationship. And there's this beautiful repentance and forgiveness and restoration. And, and this relationship is stronger and stronger and stronger. And what happens is that's actually a picture of the cross. That, that Christ died for me. And, and I, as I see the sin in my life, I see his grace and mercy. And I ask for forgiveness. And he extends forgiveness. And this, it's this beautiful picture of the cross. And the same thing happens in our marriages. As, as we grow and, and we change through the power of the Spirit, this relationship strengthens and grows. And, and the world looks in on a Christian marriage and they're like, what in the world is happening? You know, I knew like six years ago, that guy was a jerk to her. I, I mean, I saw it. And she just, she couldn't stand him. I know it. She told me. Why are, why, what happened? Why are they so happy? They're faking it. Let's hang out with them. Let's go, let's ask them to dinner. We'll see it. They go to dinner. Then they go out for ice cream afterwards. And they're like, what happened? Did you hear how she talked about him? Did you see how he looked at her? This, this picture of, it's, it's not this Disney, you know, knight in shining armor comes and it's all rom-com. That's not it. It's so much better. And it's so much more beautiful. It's we're humans. We sin against one another, but we're humble enough to go to one another and say, I am sorry, will you forgive me? What I've done was sinful. God has something better for us and I missed it. And I'm praying that he changes me and I'm gonna work hard that he changes me, that our marriage will be stronger. And over that, and as the husband and wife see that happen in that relationship, and brothers and sisters in Christ, this goes for us too. As we do and sin against one another, we come to one another, we ask for forgiveness and we, we repent and we, we see God do this change. Trust grows. Integrity grows. 
Sanctification happens. And the world looks in on it and they say, I want that. I need that desperately. I mean, I need something. And they've got something I need. That's what God's word talks about when it talks about marriage, men and women. It's always, there's this weird thing that happens as Paul's talking about uh, husbands and wives. He transitions with no explanation right into Christ and the church. The husband's like Christ and, and the wife is like the church. And there's this beautiful relationship that the world would look in on, see this relationship and see the gospel, the beauty of the gospel, the beauty of true repentance, the beauty of true forgiveness lived out in our lives for the world to see. It will change the world and it will change your marriage. It will make your marriage what God created it to be. All right, so God created this order and authority, equal in value and worth, but these complementary roles that he's laid out for us as men and women. It's awesome stuff. Now, what about the angels? <laughs> All right? I, as I was reading through this text, text and studying this, I was just like, what? Why is that even in there? Where does this come from? The first thing I want to say is that from this verse, in our gatherings, as the church gathers together, angels are around in our gatherings. That's kind of cool. That's the first thing. I don't want to, let's not get distracted from, from what Paul is getting across here. Angels are in the gatherings. As the church comes together, angels are around. That's cool. I really think that's cool. But we, and we see this not only here in 1 Corinthians, but we see it in um, Ephesians 3.10 and 1 Timothy 5.21. We should just be aware that God's angels or messengers are here with us. So there's a couple things of explanation for this verse. There's a couple different ways that um, pastors and theologians have kind of explained this over the years, um, but none of which, and I looked at some really trusted commentaries and different things, but none of which I thought were really great explanations for this. So I think it's probably a combination of a few things. All the theology nerds with me here are probably really going to enjoy this. Sorry. Sorry, everybody else. <laughs> so the angels are witnesses to our worship. And we should follow God's created authority structure because his messengers are watching. Now, that's what I found in most explanations, that angels are here and, and it would be right for us to follow God's given authority structure because the angels are here watching and we don't want to disobey the Lord in front of his messengers. Now, that's great. I think that's a, a good explanation. But I think there's another explanation that can help with that too. I think Paul's actually kind of referencing, and this is just my speculation, so a little disclaimer there. But um, I think Paul's referencing the angels. Think about this. He's talking about authority structure. We know that the church in Corinth was a hot mess. There was all dis misbalanced placed authorities and people were speaking out of turn, hot, you know, dumpster fire, right? And then he just makes this reference towards the angels. Authority structure and angels. What happened when, when the angels broke the authority structure? Satan and the demons were cast out of heaven. I mean, it was that, I mean, we talked about the garden being the fall of humanity. The fall of angels happened because of the fall of angels. The fall of humanity happened because of the fall of the angels, because Satan came to Eve in the garden, right? That's what happens when we disobey God's authority. And when we disobey his word, we, we totally disregard anything he gives us. If we step away from that, the consequences are dire. I mean, it's horrific. It's not just, hey, this is God's best for your life. No, this is God's best for your life. And going against it would be horrific because of the, look at the angels. I, I think he was kind of pointing to them as an example. So that was my little two cents on that because of the angels thing. So there you go. All right, just a side note. Let's move on. 
Um, verse 11. Nevertheless, in the Lord, woman is not independent of man, nor man of woman. That's really important that we get that. You might want to circle that, underline it, highlight it, put a star beside it. He's laying out all these authority structures, all this other stuff, but what he really gets to and what he says is that woman is not independent of man, nor man of woman. For as woman was made from man, so man is now born of woman. And all things are from God. Judge for yourselves. Is it proper for a wife to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not, excuse me, nature itself teach you that if a man wears long hair, it is a disgrace for him? But if a woman has long hair, it is her glory. For her hair is given to her for a covering. If anyone is inclined to be contentious or go against this, we have no such practice, nor do the churches of God. All right, you're filling in the notes here. Number three is this. Gender, this is really important, Guys with the long hair, chill out. That's not what we're getting at. You can have long hair, fellas. Gender is something God ordained. Gender is something God ordained. We are different, male and female, and we need each other. We need our differences. I love this. Woman is not independent of man, and man not independent of the woman. We need each other, and together we reflect the glory of God. That's how he created us. Male and female, he created them. Now, don't get caught up in the cultural statements about hair length. Those are the temporary cultural practices that gave differentiation between man, men and women. But the, time, the, the timeless principle is this, is that there's a difference between a man and a woman. Now, you're sitting out there and you're, probably most of you are going, duh, Matt, why are you even saying this? But our differences, I want us to be clear on this too, our differences are beautiful, and necessary. Only when we embrace our God-given differences will we express what God intends. Did you hear me on that? That's really, really key to this section. Only when we embrace our God-given differences will we express what God intends. 20 years ago, 15 years ago, this wouldn't even have been a point in a sermon. It would have just been assumed. But today is much different. Not only has radical feminism attacked the authority structures God has created for the family, but the gender war is attacking God's intended gender structures. That statement I just made, this is very scary. That our culture is challenging gender is horrific. Because only when we embrace our differences will we reflect what God intends. Now, in today's world, our culture says, or our science says, a boy can be a girl and a girl can be a boy. That's what kids are learning in school today. That's what science, quotation marks, if you're just listening, I'm, science says. That's not what God says. He created them male and female. And it's really important. He did that on purpose, that we would come together and reflect what he intends. Now, that being said, if you're here today or you're watching us online right now and you're struggling with your gender identity, I want you to know that you have a creator that knit you together in your mother's womb. He loves you. Now, the world will try and tell you all different kinds of things about you. 
But I want you to know, really the only one you can trust is your creator, the one who made you. He knows what's best for you. You were fearfully and wonderfully made. All of us, all of us struggle with God's commands. It's a level playing field. All of us struggle with God's commands. For some of us, it may, may be our gender role. Others of us, it's lustful desires or sinful anger or desiring to control everything and everyone. Or maybe struggling with being content with what God has provided or living out the role that God has given us in our marriage or idols, any type of idols we've placed in our lives. I mean, that's the bad news. We are all sinners. But I want to share some good news with you. That God knew we would struggle with sin. He knew that there would be a gender war and that there would be those who struggle with their gender. You know what he did when he found that out? <laughs> he sent his son Jesus, who was truly God and truly man, and he sent him down to the earth to live a perfect life as, as a model for us so we could look at how he lived and say, okay, that's, that's it. That's, that's what God intends but he did what we can't do. He lived up to the perfect righteous standard that, that God had. And God knew we couldn't live up to that, so he sent Jesus to do it. And then Jesus, because of sin, because of my sin and your sin, he took our sin on himself and went to the cross for you and me. And he died. He died a sinner's death for you and me. And three days later, he rose from the grave, defeating sin and death. For anyone, anyone who would turn and trust in him, look at his perfect life and say yes, and look at our sinful life and say no, and say yes, I accept God through Jesus Christ, that, that perfect life he lived for me, I accept that. And then, in the end, when you go before your creator God, He's not going to see all the sins that you've committed. He's going to see Jesus' perfect life because you are covered by the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed on the cross. What a cost was paid for you and me. Like I said earlier, it's a level playing field. All of us here needed Christ's death on the cross. All of us watching, you need that. And God sent Jesus because he loves you. So you may have heard a pastor say, if you're struggling with your gender, there's no hope for you, or, or you're just a sinner and you're gone. I want you to know that God loves you, that Jesus died for you, there is a way for you, and all of us are sinners. I'm a sinner. And God wants you to be in relationship with him. You don't have to get your life together to come to Jesus. You come to Jesus because your life is a mess, and he's the only one that can make sense of it. So come to Jesus today. Give your life to Jesus today. I don't know what your struggle is. I don't know if it's gender. I don't know if it's lustful desires. I don't know if it's sinful anger. I don't know if your marriage is falling apart, but I want you to know this. The hope that we have is found in the person of Jesus Christ. And no person has gone so far that Christ's death isn't greater. His death and resurrection is greater than any sin that you've ever committed. And he can put the pieces together for you. 
Let's go before the Lord right now in prayer together. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of your Son. We thank you that he did what we cannot, that he conquered sin, he conquered death, and now we have freedom, we have hope, we have a path to run on because of Jesus. Father, we surrender our will, we surrender our lives to you, and we say, come and, and have your way in me. If you're out there listening right now, I just encourage you to, to surrender your life to him. All you have to do is say, Jesus, I surrender my life to you. Forgive me of my sins. I surrender my will, Father. Come and have your way in my life. If you've prayed that prayer, you are a Christian. You are a son, a daughter of the King of kings and Lord of lords. And Father, we thank you that we can come to you. And we trust that you would do a work only you can do in and through our lives. God, I pray that you would help us to be the church that you've called us to be, that our marriages and our relationships here would be a beacon of hope to the world. Help us to be a humble, repentant, forgiving people that show your love to everyone we meet. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand as we sing our closing song today.